like that song. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He changed me just in time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Isn't God good? I'll tell you what. Pastor Ken wanted me to start a, uh, a series on boundaries. I don't know. I have to think about it. <laughs> See what God says. Anyway, God is moving. He's moving all over. He's moving in different situations, different churches. Before I got up this morning, I had a dream. I was in a church that was square. Painted white on the inside, concrete. I mean, it was like a square box on the inside. And I was sitting on the platform, and I looked over, and there was a woman came up. It was almost like the Methodist days for me. And when I was in a Methodist church, the song leader was on one side, the preacher was on the other side. And uh, this woman got up, and she reminded me of Julie Pierce. I knew it wasn't her, though, because she's about 80 now, isn't she, somewhere around there? 78 or 80. This woman's probably like 60, but looked like her. And she began to lead a hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it was good. I was wondering, where are the singers and the musicians? I didn't know if I was in Church of Christ or what, but anyway, there was no musicians or singers there but her. And then she opened up her hymn, and I was going to go to the second song, and then I woke up. So if anybody has an interpretation for me, you can come see me after church this today, tonight. But uh, I was ready to preach anyway. Hey, I preached in Ocatlan, Mexico. Probably this was 1993, 92, somewhere around there. And the church was started under a tarp between two houses. And the church was about from here to the wall and about 30 feet deep or so. We had church under the tarp. And I prayed for people. I prayed for these two teenage boys. And they didn't fall out or anything, but they stood like this. They, they were frozen. They weren't the frozen chosen, but they were just statuesque. They could not move. For over an hour, they stood that way. They didn't, I, I was wondering if they were breathing. They did not move a muscle until I'd prayed for everybody, and I just stopped and I looked at them, and then they both came out of it at the same time. And Tino asked them, said, what was going on? They said they saw the face of Jesus, and they were just there looking at Jesus' face. I thought that was pretty cool. And then that church grew, and I preached in it a few years later. And they had a building. They built it with bricks, those orange bricks. They put together, and they, they put it. That's how Tino's church is built, with orange bricks. Of course, they plaster some on the inside. Anyway, you know, it's amazing. There's churches all over the world. Preached in... Nairobi, Kenya, in an outlying church. And it was one of several, well, Bishop Muyu had like 
two or three hundred churches under his charge. I'd preached in his main church the last time I was there. This was the second time I'd been to Nairobi, Kenya, and I was preaching in his other church. They had me dedicate a chair. You know, kind of like a throne type chair. I didn't know who was going to sit in it, but he said it was for the Holy Ghost. So they literally had me dedicate a chair that they got, a very beautiful chair, uh, for the Holy Spirit to sit in. And uh, that church had tin roofs and metal folding chairs and, and dirt gravel floor, you know, under it. And it was really hot. It was in the afternoon. I had on a suit because all of them wore suits. And uh, I mean to tell you, I just started saying, everybody needs a, I wasn't going to lay hands on everybody. It was too hot. But I said, everybody needs a healing. Just stand up. And I just started proclaiming healing. They started falling out in the spirit, knocking them metal folding chairs over everywhere in that building. It was a noise like bang, 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 all over the place as they fell out in the spirit. Yeah, it's just, it's glorious. It, it doesn't make sense. It just, it boggles your mind how hungry and thirsty people are like Randy was singing there tonight. It's, it is the truth. People are hungry for the Lord. Uh, this is my final message. I had 12 parts. I didn't call this part 13. I just said conclusion. Moving past forgiveness into Christ-like thinking. See, if you can move past having to forgive everybody all the time into the way Jesus thinks, Christ, you know, the anointed position of salvation, Savior, healing. You can walk and not, like Zach said, not be offended. It's funny how these messages kind of run together and just blend. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, the way you think has a lot to do with how much power you can operate in. And so our weapons aren't carnal. They're not fleshly. You know. In the world of delivery of messages and so on. I could go back to that soundboard and at the end of a song I could raise the volume up just a few notches and everybody would start to clap. It's an emotional reaction to the decibels going up. You know, there's ways that people's emotions can be manipulated, you know. And so, you know, that's not what our weapons are about. It's not about a manipulating people's emotions. It's about sharing the truth of God's Word 
in a way that Jesus would share. You know, you don't have to shout, I did that deliverance over that one gal on a, I was teaching boundaries. This was in the building next to Gamma Labs. And and uh, they came over and said, uh, Tara came to me and said, Patty needs your help. There's somebody manifesting demons over in the general 12-step program. Everybody else had left. She was praying for this gal. And she had been shouting and trying to command the demons to go. And, and I went over there and I knelt down next to the gal. And I knew her. I called her by name. And I said, what do you hear right now? And she told me. And I took authority and commanded that demon to leave. And then I said, what else do you hear? And she said, and I said, in the name of Jesus, I bind you up and I command you to leave. And she coughed a little bit. Well, over the period of time, I cast several demons out. And then I said, how is it now? Do you hear anything else? She said, no, it's, it's quiet. I said, okay, sit up then. Let me pray a blessing over you. And when I was done, that girl went home. Patty came over and looked at me and says, you didn't even raise your voice. I said, demons aren't deaf. They're, it's, if you have the authority by Jesus Christ, you can cast out demons without shouting. It's just that in our different views, uh, Harold Eberly, who wrote the book that we use in our ministry school, The Complete Wineskin, about the government of the church, how the church should be, in a five-fold ministry and so on. He wrote another book, and it, it's about three inches thick. It was a lot more in-depth. I forget the name of it now. But he talked about different worldviews. And he talked about the basic Christian viewpoint, and then he talked about the Pentecostal charismatic viewpoint, and then he talked, <laughs> you know, he had these different groupings. But, you know... The way we have been influenced in the Pentecostal charismatic world, I don't know if the Baptists were like that because I was not raised Baptist, but uh, in the Pentecostal world, somebody starts manifesting demons. They get the music going. They start singing about the blood of Jesus. And then people start praying in tongues. And people start shouting. And you can't hear yourself think if you're the one casting demons out. I didn't never find that Jesus needed a bunch of peripheral things, but people get scared, see, in church. They'd see somebody manifesting demons, and, oh, man, I hope they can't go into the kids, you know, and this kind of thing. Well, Jesus commanded them to leave. You know, they weren't allowed to stay in the meeting, you know, where he was at. And uh, so you know, we get uh, conditioned a certain way to react and respond to manifestations in the church world. You know, uh, you know. a lot of times I'd pray for people and they'd be slain in the spirit. They'd fall on the floor under the power of God. They couldn't stand up. Well, many a time I would say pick them back up because I was still going to prophesy some, the word of the Lord to them. So it wasn't like they just won the race because they fell on the floor. It's just they were overwhelmed by the presence and the power of God. And so, you know, we, we react 
in our world by the way that we've been trained and taught to react many times. And I'm not saying I know it all. I don't. But I know some things. And I've learned. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not how loud we get. They're not how good. And I'm glad some people can sing good. Aren't you, Kevin? Because, you know, it's more pleasurable to worship with people that can really sing good. But I've seen people worship and cry out to God. They didn't have to have all the talent in the world. They, they were very anointed, and it moved us at times. So, but it's, it's not built on natural things. It's built on spiritual things. So our weapons are not carnal. They're for warfare. They're to pull down strongholds of the enemy. It's to tear down those things that try to captivate and tie people up and mess their lives up. It really is. And so, you know, you cannot have a powerful ministry, whether you're loud or quiet, if you haven't moved beyond the forgiveness realm. And, and it can't be that, well, now I've forgiven them, and now I've got this one I'm mad at. No, you have to maintain a lifestyle of living in forgiveness, forgiving people. And then you have to not allow anger to produce bitterness and resentments in you to where you, you see people and you get mad at them. And so, anyway, let's, let's look at some things. Firstly, number one point, we choose to live in a state of forgiveness and not by anger and bitterness. That's what I just commented about. Don't be angry and get bitter because of what somebody's done or said. You know, move on. Move away from that. You know, some people say, well, you know, those people, they got mad at you and they left the church. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't try to make them mad. You know, if something bothered them, they could come to me, and if I offended them, I'd say, well, I'm sorry. That's not what I intended. You know, so people go from place to place to place, whether it be church or whether it be gas stations or grocery stores or whatever, a lot of times because they get ticked off. And you don't even know it. You know what? I've never lost a night's sleep because somebody got ticked off at me and walked away, and I didn't know it. It never bothered me that they were upset at me if I didn't know they were upset at me. It bothered them. So, you know, I wanted, I want a relationship that is pure. Zach talked about on Sunday about having a pure heart. And, you know, and I've said it, and you've heard me say it, out of James chapter 4, you know, the pure in heart part in chapter 4 is somebody that's not double-minded. You know, it's when you're double-minded that you're not pure. You think, well, it's okay to do this, and now I'm going to go over here and do this. No, you can't go out and keep getting drunk and expect to come in and lead worship and have purity of heart. You know, I mean, there's even a scripture that says, Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And 
I'm probably going to offend somebody when I say this, but I'm getting older, so my thinking is a little different. Brother Summerall used to say it like that. He said, now they call it a disease. He said, in the Bible it says drunkards. Now, I'm not trying to offend anybody. You know, alcoholism, they want to say it's just a disease. Well, that's funny because I've cast out spirits out of somebody and they never drink again. They never use drugs again. And it's not because I'm so all-powerful. God is powerful. But, you know, if it's a disease, you're probably going to need treatment for the rest of your life if it wasn't cancer to be cut out. And people try to make it more acceptable by using different verbiage. But the reality is, God said, you know, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, you can't continue to be a drunk and go to heaven, no matter how nice you are when you're sober. You have to repent. You know, Zach, was that you talking about the other day about people praying a prayer, but, you know, then they don't change? Something like that. They pray pray a prayer at the altar and they don't change. Boy, I've seen that a bunch of times in my lifetime. Well, it doesn't say pray a prayer. It said repent. Once you repent, then you change, you know, and you put your faith. You're saved by faith through grace, not by just saying a prayer at the altar. It's good to say prayers at the altar, though. That helps us. But the reality is you change because the Holy Spirit came and empowered you and the Word of God came. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you believe, you have faith in God unto salvation. You know, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now the interesting thing, we don't need Jesus to keep getting up on the cross. Uh, That's a beautiful, uh, I had that vision of Jesus that's on that banner. And I had an artist in Homestead, little mousy-haired lady that was a spinster, and she had been an art teacher in her earlier years. And and I told about that vision, and she drew, you know, she sketched it, and I said, no, that's not it. Then she sketched it some more, and one day I said, that's it, that's what I saw. And if you look up there, you'll see the crown of thorns say Jesus, if you look close enough. It spells the name Jesus. But the eyes, if you sit in front of it, looks like he's following you wherever you're going. But Jesus doesn't have to keep on dying on the cross. He's already done it once and for all. So when Paul talked about crucifixion, he was, you know, the preaching of the cross. It's not just about Jesus, but it's also about you picking up your own cross and following Jesus Christ. So the the power of the cross 
is the in the one that we picked up as we gave our life to Jesus Christ and we began to become more like him you know so I'm not belittling Jesus Jesus did the work now you know Paul said I crucify you know I'm crucified with Christ daily it's not I that lives but he who lives in me or through me you know so it's very interesting you know it's a state of mind and secondly we embrace the cross in our lives which leads to peace in every area of life so you know you embrace the cross it is it will dictate everything you do in your life if you're identifying with Jesus Christ on the cross you know what would Jesus do well he wouldn't lose it and get mad at somebody and curse them out and everything now he did call them whitewashed tombs the religious leaders but he didn't sin when he did it he was telling the truth he did run out the money changers and he said this is my father's house it's not going to become a den of thieves. He said, this is a house of prayer. You know, and he established God's authority in there. And so, you know, many things. You know, even I have pet peeves. One of them was I never want uh, a traveling minister to set up their tapes or their CDs or their T-shirts in the auditorium. That's a pet peeve of mine. I don't want you selling stuff where we worship. You know, let's not make this a place where we're selling stuff all the time. Now, we have allowed them to be out in the hallway there and share their newsletters and their, you know, I'm just not as much into all that now. I used to try to sell my messages I had. Back then it was cassette tapes and then we moved to CDs and, and I'd take them with me and People would look at it, and I could tell they didn't have enough money to buy it. I said, just take one, just go on. I gave away two-thirds of what I brought. <laughs> I didn't sell hardly that many. <laughs> you know, I wasn't a good salesman. I'd rather just give it away. But we embrace the cross in our lives, and it brings peace to every other area. You'll have peace when you embrace living a crucified life with Christ I'm not living for me I'm living for him you know when we gather and get together I'm getting together because it's his family we're getting together with. you know I love the kingdom of God I love to be at church I love worship you know I enjoy it when each one of y'all get up and lead worship I have a good time you know, sometimes I think about just running across the front of the auditorium. I said, that would make about three people fall out from fright, I think. Three from shock. And then others will shout and they'll start running around with me. You know, who knows? I'm not going to do it, though, unless it's God in me done. <laughs> you know, I remember in Florida, I preached on the Jericho walls come tumbling down and I was marching around the church and talking about how at the end of the seventh day the seventh time they blew the trumpets and I had a, some kind of trumpet with me I think and I blew that thing and laid my trumpet down and boom the spirit of God hit me and I started dancing in the Lord 
and I ran across the auditorium. I didn't know where I was. And all of a sudden, I opened my eyes. I was that far from the wall. I knew it was the Holy Ghost. I wasn't doing it in the flesh. Everybody starts shouting. We all crossed over that day, I think. We crossed over on personal Jordan Rivers. But, you know, it's about being in Christ. Living a free life. That song about freedom. It's so true. I just want to live in total freedom. Free to love everybody. Free to talk to anybody. And, uh, you know, just whoever needs a touch. Be able to talk to them. I talk to people all over the place. I don't care if they know me or not. They'll get to know me a little bit anyway. You know, uh, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Now, this speaking to having Christ in you. And, you know, I think Pastor Ken preached on this chapter, maybe Zach too, since I preached on it. But it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, what is that saying? It's saying you are to be who God has made you to be. He was the Christ. You're a son of the living God. We're sons and daughters. I can have confidence. I don't have to be braggadocious about anything, but I can have confidence. Whatever he tells me, I'll do it. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. You know, so we look like everybody else. We wear... Everybody always, I wear cardinal stuff a lot, so everybody knows I'm a cardinal now. You know how many conversations that I've had with people because they say, are they going to be any good this year? Yeah, well, you know, and I say, I'm, I'm Pastor Kevin, who are you? And I've talked to them. Before long, I've got a good conversation going. Being found in appearance as a man or as a Cardinals fan <laughs> or anything else you are, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which, you know, the cross was a horrible death because the person was nailed and their legs were like this, nailed into the cross, and they hung like this so their air would be gone and they'd have to push up with the nails through their feet to get air. And because he was whipped with a cat of nine tails, it was very painful to rub your wide open mashy up of a back against a wooden board you know with splinters it was horrible therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name he went the lowest and now he is the highest hallelujah that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth of those under the earth. There is no name above the name of Jesus Christ. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Man, I tell you what, when I don't know what to say, I just say, well, praise the Lord. God loves you. Jesus gave his life for you. I tell you what, people can't, they cannot deal with that. They'll either humble themselves and they get convicted 
uh, you know, it just happens. So thirdly, we desire and to decide to adopt the attitude of Jesus the Christ and his mindful thinking. WWJD, what would Jesus do? That book, In His Steps. Has anybody here not ever read that book, a little paperback book called In His Steps? Has everybody here read it? You never read it? Well, you need to read that. That would change your life. A whole town adopted that in this book, and it changed their behavior, and it changed how they treated one another, and, you know, in his steps. And that's the question was always, what would Jesus do? What would he do? When I see somebody that's kind of a user laying down next to the sidewalk and he says, can you help me? I need some money for food. Well, I don't give them money because I know what their temptation is, but I would buy them a meal. We'd buy them food. I fed Bubba. He wouldn't give me his real name. I fed Bubba. He was homeless and found out he had become an alcoholic and lost his job with uh, what was that? Radio Shack. He was a manager of a radio shack. Had a nice home, drove a Mercedes. And he had a couple of kids. And he said his addiction drove him to where he lost his house. He lost his job first. And that's the beginning because he didn't get any money. Then he lost, he, they repossessed the Mercedes. And then they lost their house. And the wife said, adios, you know, and told him to hit the bricks. And so he hitched a ride, I think it was on the trains or something, cross-country from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he ended up down in Homestead, Florida. And I had a couple of my guys, we were going into one of the places, I might have been Taco Bell or somewhere like that. And uh, I said, he said, man, I'm hungry. Can you give me some money for food? I said, no, but I'll buy you some food. Come on in. So he went in, and I bought his, and I bought mine, and the two associates that I brought. And I said, come on, what's your name? He said, oh, just call me Bubba. I said, well, Bubba, come on over. He said, you mean you want me to eat with you? I said, sure, come eat with us. We want to hear your story. And that's how I found out all that information. And uh, Bubba, he really appreciated that we cared about him as a person. The mind of Christ. What would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't give somebody that's going to go buy booze money, but he would give them some food if they're truly hungry. And so Bubba had a bicycle, and that was before the hurricane ever hit, and I had him put a window in the back of the church, the wall, the soundboard was up in the balcony above, and I could see through that window the lobby and the mother's, would have their babies out in the lobby and they you know if they wouldn't settle down they'd go out there and we had speakers in the lobby we had speakers in the bathrooms you couldn't get away from the word of god anyway but anyway we had a good setup and so i saw bubba come down the sidewalk i was already taking over the service at the end of worship and bubba came in he brought his bike into the lobby and propped it up 
I watched him through the glass window. And then he came up the aisle, and he was sitting on the end row, about six rows back. I said, hey, Bubba, how you doing today? He said, hey, I'm here. I said, I'm so glad you're here. Everybody, everybody say hi to Bubba. You know, and they all said hi. But, you know, I'd go look for him. He ended up moving on because after a while I never saw him again. But there were many people like that. What would Jesus do? What should the mind of Christ be? We have to desire and make a decision to, to figure out what would Jesus do in this situation. If you've got to pray about it, pray about it quickly. But let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I've got a little story I want to read to you before I move on to the last four little points. This is a story about happiness. The 92-year-old petite, polished, poised, and proud lady who was fully dressed each morning by 8 o'clock with her hair fashionably coiffed and makeup perfectly applied, even though she was legally blind, moved into a nursing home uh, that day and her husband of 70 years had recently passed away. That's why she had to move into a nursing home because she couldn't take care of herself. And so uh, after many hours of waiting patiently in the lobby of the nursing home, she smiled sweetly when told her room was ready. As she maneuvered her walker to the elevator, this is the guy giving her testimony, I provided a visual description of her tiny room, including the eyelet sheets that had been hung in her window. And she said, I love it, she stated with enthusiasm of an eight-year-old having just been presented with a new puppy. Mrs. Jones, you haven't seen the room yet. Just wait. That doesn't have to have anything to do with it, she replied. Happiness is something you decide ahead of time. Whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged. It's how I arrange my mind. I already decided to love it. It's a decision I make every morning when I wake up. I have a choice. I can spend the day in bed, recounting the difficulty I have with parts of my body that no longer work, or get out of bed and be thankful for the ones that do work. Each day is a gift, she continued, and as long as my eyes open, I'll focus on the new day and all the happy memories I've stored away just for this time in my life. Old age is like a bank account. You can only withdraw from what you put in. So my advice to you is to deposit a lot of happiness in the bank account of memories. That's pretty good, isn't it? So, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. 
who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled and did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You know, he said it is finished on the cross. And those two thieves had different attitudes towards him. One cursed him and said, if you're really the Christ and the king, you could call angels, get us all down from here. The other one basically said, Lord, remember me in paradise. And he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Faith saves the soul. Fourthly, we embrace our daily right of being crucified with Christ as we are dead to self, and therefore sin does not have power over us. You know, if you die to Christ in your life, then he reigns. You know, temptation's not as big when you've died to your flesh. You've crucified yourself with Christ. You're not living for self. You're not living for your carnal flesh. You're living for Christ. So sin is not going to hold me. It's not going to take me out. You know. I know it's a silly joke, but Larry Cook used to always tell this joke. Little Larry, I called him. He lead worship and pastored up in Pontoon Beach and died from a spinal condition that left him basically crippled at the end and, and uh, he died his heart stopped beating that was several years ago and he had such joy he used to tell that joke he said you know a uh, guy was going through the woods and the devil jumped out and said boo and the guy said boo yourself I'm married to your sister that's not a good joke though <laughs> but he would tell jokes like that, you know. That wasn't a good joke to tell. I apologize. <laughs> but sin <laughs> does not have to control your life. You die to self, you know. The devil doesn't have to scare you. I tell you, I see some of those uh, commercials about movies that are coming on, and they're hideous. And I look at Lucia, she looked at me and said, we not going. We ain't going to that movie. No way. <laughs> if you want a good movie to watch, go see that movie about, uh, what's it called? Jesus Revolution. It's really a story about Chuck Smith and, of course, uh, Frisbee and Greg Laurie. I used to watch Greg Laurie all the time preach those big stadium out in Anaheim, big meetings every year. He was true evangelist. I mean, passionate. Really grip your heart. But Chuck Smith pastored one of the largest churches in the United States because of that Jesus revolution, the Jesus people movement. They still baptize people there at that place on the ocean. You know, it's amazing what goes on. Well, let's look and see. Uh, yeah, Colossians 3.3. 3. Thank you, Philip. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when you die to self, you live in Christ. Man, people will look at you and they'll say, man, I see Jesus in you. And I'm not bragging on me, but I've been a lot of places around and I've talked to people and I smile and I talk to them and they look in my eyes and they say, man, your eyes are different. I said, man, I see Jesus in you. I said, well, thank God. And that's the objective. And then the next one, Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Man, how much fun it is when you go out and you're not bound up in this life so much. But you can share with people what God has done for you. Man, I tell you, that was a powerful testimony Rico gave last week. Man, I tell you what. Those ladies over at Costello's, they said, Rico is not the same guy. I said, man, whatever y'all are doing over there, keep doing it. I said, all we're doing is worshiping God and, and lifting up the Word of God, and Rico embraces it. He's changed. Jesus changed him. He'll change all of us if we let him. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Isn't that awesome? We'll get to that in just a second. When I really gave it all to Jesus and said yes to the ministry, I went in my apartment and I got out every rock and roll record that I had. I had a collection out of this world. My records cost more than my car did. And my my stereo was worth more than my car. I could blow every apartment away in that complex. My stereo was so loud. And uh, I had all these records, but I said, I'm not going to listen to that junk anymore. In fact, I'll sell the I'll sell my stereo. I did. I sold it. Got some good money out of it. But I went out to the dumpster with piles of records, and I'd take them one at a time. If they were hard enough, I cracked them in half. And if they, some of them were vinyl, so you know what? They wouldn't crack, no matter what I did. I, I said, man, this demon's a tough one. I just, but I would warp it. Nobody could ever play it again. I warped that thing. And I did that to probably... Like 200 albums. Everything from ZZ Top to Leonard Skinner to Three Dog Night to Chicago to the Doobie Brothers. I'm just confessing to you. And I knew all that music. Hall and Oates. If I think long, I can think of some more if you want them. Know them. But, you know, I just got rid of it all. Some of it was la-la music. It really didn't say nothing that bad, you know. I knew, I forget Led Zeppelin, I knew Stairway to Heaven, that wasn't true. I knew when you died, you just went instantly to heaven. That was a bunch of garbage. So, anyway, I just got rid of it. I said, I, I'm not going to be like Christ and have all this rock and roll nonsense in my house. I got rid of it. Fifth, brokenness is a person. Wait a minute. 
Brokenness is the personal trait most needed in the church today. You know, Zach talked about that some, but it's true. You got to be broken. You don't have to be destroyed, but you you become broken before God. You know, where you feel it in here, not just up here. But you feel it in your gut that, hey, man, I, to be like Jesus, I've got to, I just got to become broken before him. And if you'll seek him, you'll find him. He'll meet you. I used to go in the church and pray early in the morning. I'd cry my eyes out. I'd drench the carpet. My tears with all the salt began to stain the rug. You know, I said, I got to move my position. They'll be wondering what's going on this place. They're going to find a stained rug. Have to replace the carpet. But anyway, let's see what else. Where am I at, Philip? Hebrews? By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Most assuredly, I say to you in John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You know, you just got to die to self. That's why I got rid of all those rock records. And you know what God gave me after that? Two Christian rock groups to manage. And so I traveled with them. They would sing, do a concert, then I would preach and have an altar call for salvation. A lot of people got saved. My wife got to hear those groups. And it was pretty powerful. In fact, when I first met her just a week after, my group were playing in Fat City on Tuesday of Mardi Gras with a group called Bridge in uh, Fat City. And, and uh, it was fun, wasn't it? But uh, we had some really great music. But it was God's music, Christian music. And uh, they'd call me and say, can, can we use your group on TV this week? <coughs> on TV ministry. And I'd have them, I'd schedule them, go on TV and sing. And, and we would do concerts and festivals. And, you know, uh, Brother Gorman asked me to organize a party for kids, teenagers, for Christmas one year. We had over a thousand teenagers come to the Marriott Ballroom downtown New Orleans. And I had a whole lineup of Christian singers and, and Christian bands. And so, you know, I, I gave up the stronghold of music, embraced my purpose in God, and he gave me singing groups and concerts and festivals, and parties that lifted up Jesus. It was pretty awesome. It really was. And I met other Christian groups because when they want to come to town, a lot of them would call me and say, can you help me get booked? And I'd help them get booked in different places because you called it connections. It was God connections. And what a life. I enjoyed it. It was awesome. But anyway...
So, sixthly, if that is a word, the sixth thing is we must reflect the world's view of success. We must not reflect the world's view. I should have put not there. We're not supposed to reflect the world view of success, but align ourselves with the thought pattern of Jesus Christ. Don't think you're successful because the world says you're good or whatever. It's like that man down the homestead. I told that story how he taught, he said, I can make you a star on TV. So he had all the connections. You know what would happen to me? I'd have been destroyed eventually. I'd have been began to think I was somebody. But I said, no, that's not for me. And it's funny because he was in cahoots. There was witchcraft trying to come against me and spirits. And, and I just, I had to just do what I knew Jesus wanted me to tell me. When I did that, all kinds of doors opened for me. You know. And I preached places that I should have never been able to go to. But God blessed me with those opportunities. And it was an awesome thing in life. So, last scripture, 1 Corinthians 9.22. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. You know, you don't have to be the big shot. You know, Zach was talking about the David for at first trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back on that cart with oxen. Always used to joke about he was, they were big wheels and boards. Or they were church boards with big wheels. <laughs> they thought they were big wheels. That wasn't always a good joke, though, if you had church boards. Yeah. But uh, it is true. If you're trying to be something big, doesn't win people. But you become a little broken and be willing to be weak so you can win people that are not able to make it unless somebody can show them the way. Amen? Well, I think that's pretty good preaching. Amen, brother. Good job. No, I'm just joking. But, you know, have an attitude. That's like Christ. Like that 93-year-old lady said, she learned to be happy. She was blind, but she already liked her room. Because she determined, I'm going to be happy, no matter what. And that's the way I want to be. I want to enjoy every day. I want to be happy every day. When people complain, I just got to, you know, I'm a little bit sarcastic once in a while, you know. I'm an old coach. Some people start complaining. I'd say, you want some cheese with that wine? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you got the wine down. I'll give you some cheese to go with it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, I threw myself off on that one. But, you know, it doesn't do no good to sit around and complain and murmur and whine and grovel and think you'll never amount to anything, you'll never get anywhere. You know what? You humble yourself before God. He will exalt you. 
He will pull you up. He will place you in a position that you didn't think you'd ever get to. I mean, it's, it is amazing to me to see myself anywhere out of the country or standing before people, presidential candidates in other countries, and pray for them, prophesy to them, prophesying to the drug cartel, stuff like that. That's crazy. I don't even want to be close to the drug cartel. But you know what? I prophesied. I remember one night I prophesied over two young women that were the money launderers for, I think it was the Sinaloa drug cartel that was in Guadalajara. And I didn't know who they were. I just prophesied to them. They started crying like babies. And the pastor's wife, Sister Guti, after that service, she said, did you know who you were prophesying to that was sitting behind us? I said, no, they're just two young ladies. They they were just so hungry. It looked like birds waiting for the worm, you know. And uh, she said, they deal with the money for the drug cartel. Here. I said, oh, well. I don't know if they gave any money in the offering, but God bless them anyway. Anyhow, stand with me. God is good all the time. I think that. He is good all the time. No matter how tough it gets, be tough and get going, all right? Serve the Lord. Embrace the cross. Let Christ be alive in you. Let when people see you and your brokenness, let them see Jesus. And that he is the one helping you to make it through your hard times. Because they'll get better. They will. Lift your hands to him. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We surrender our lives to you. And we ask you, God, let us walk in that freedom that we sing about tonight. Let us walk in the evidence of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion in our lives, that we crucify our flesh and we live unto Christ. And let us be a mighty witness everywhere we go because of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.